Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the amazing all-around acupuncturist and so much more, Teresa Welziak. I say all around when referring to Teresa because we all know people who can do everything, and that's Teresa. She's amazing. She helps women with fertility issues. She's a doula. She has a doctorate in Chinese herbal medicine. Oh, and she's also studied cancer research. She's helped veterans with phantom limb pain. Teresa believes in whole body care, helping patients unblock what's preventing them from healing and reaching their optimal state of health. And she's here today to help us achieve just that, help us heal from the inside out. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Teresa. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Now, you've helped so many different kinds of people and injuries from veterans who have lost limbs to women with fertility problems and helping female patients prepare their bodies for pregnancy, increase their fertility, support their systems through pregnancy and help prepare them for labor. Do you also help women through menopause? Yes, I do. Actually, I've had a few menopause patients and perimenopause. Oh, yeah. Now, do you do all this by acupuncture? Yeah, there's some different things I've learned throughout the years. Vitamin E is very important during menopause. Just some nutraceuticals. There's some Chinese herbal formulas that are good for hot flashes and yeah. So how do you heal them? Do they like, do they come to you for that? Like, I'm not sure. Like, what do you do? I typically... Typically, I get patients who come to me for pain management or like a specific injury or fertility, and they come for a specific reason, and then they kind of stay for other reasons. They'll say like, oh, I'm having these like intense like uh, night sweats or I haven't gotten my period for three months. Can we like stimulate my period to see to you know, see if I'm going through menopause or not. Or, you know, I'll have young women who haven't had their period in a while and they'll come to me just to regulate it or that their period is not regulated. So yeah, so typically people come to me for pain management or fertility. They come with a specific goal in mind and then they stay because they see their sleep improving. They see their anxiety improving. They see, I don't know, their sports performance improving or they come to me for pain management and they never knew that acupuncture could help with fertility. So there's so many different reasons why people come to for acupuncture and then stay. You had told me in the past also that it can help with digestive issues and things like that. I thought that was fascinating. Can you talk about that? Yeah, digestive issues are one of the great things that acupuncture can actually improve. And it's something that Western medicine really has nothing for. I mean, the way they have like Prilosec or what is it, Nexium, stuff like that, antiacids. If you have SIBO, you can get antibiotics. But the actual like needles within the, with the, locally in the abdomen and then the systemic needles like on the channels that go to the to the stomach and digestive system they they just help decrease the inflammation so if you're having like ibs or constipation or bloating yeah acupuncture really helps with that too and it's i'm usually like i feel like people come to me when Western medicine has failed them. Uh, like I'll have like the percentage of patients that come to me when Western medicine has failed them. So does, it hurt? does that hurt? It sounds painful to me. <laughs> I mean, the, the needles in your belly, some people get like, I feel like men get a little bit more freaked out than women, but the abdomen is pretty like pretty soft. You can stick needles pretty far in there and they're fine. 
I don't know. I think I think acupuncture, I think there's a myth that acupuncture should be painless. I think it's more of a Western West Coast myth because I did my first three years of acupuncture school in New York City. I studied in Asia, I studied in Japan, and I studied in Taiwan. And there, I think there's this myth that there should be no pain with acupuncture. And what I've seen from Taiwan in New York City, working with the practitioners there and my and the people who I love in, in California, that it's like, yes, you get a sensation and it can be a little uncomfortable. It's the chi sensation. And when you like manipulate the needle and you get that doll achy sensation, it's it's that's where, when the healing happens. Now, did you pick this for a living or do you feel like it kind of chose you? Yeah, I feel like it was both. I think that my career path is a little interesting because I I started in high school. I became vegan. I graduated high school in 98. So it wasn't popular at the time. It was very like contrarian and in like the punk rock movement at the time. There were a lot of straight edge kids who like didn't do any drinking or drugs. And then there were a lot of vegan kids who who wouldn't eat meat. And I like would protest against McDonald's because they were clear cutting forests in Brazil for cattle farms. And I, you know, do direct action for PETA, which I'm not going to talk about. But I, yeah, I, I loved being vegan and I loved the movement. I think I just loved being a part of something. I learned so much about nutrition that I decided to get my degree in nutrition. And I got really into uh, scientific research as a result of nutrition because I kind of steered towards not the clinical aspect, but the biochemistry aspect. And then I just got into cancer research. I got some fellowships in cancer research and I worked for some prestigious places. And then I kind of just had this moment where I just like freaked out and had my quarter life crisis and started oil painting. I just didn't want to do cancer research anymore. It was too cutthroat and too high powered and it wasn't a good quality of life for me. And I started meditating and I went to a Vipassana uh, 10 day meditation retreat where it's no writing, no reading no talking, no acknowledging another person. You eat vegetarian the whole time you're there. You wake up at 4.30 a.m. And yeah, you're in your head a lot. And I, I noticed when I was there that if I was thinking about the past, certain muscles in my body would tense up. And then when I was thinking about the future, other, like my thought process was displaying itself in my musculature. And if you think about it, our face the way that we show emotions is all muscles in our face. So I thought like if I were, and I was like the whole time I was there, I was massaging myself. And I was like, if I become a massage therapist, I can help people on such a deeper level without them even knowing. I mean, I like went home and like signed up for massage therapy school. And within a month of massage therapy school, I started getting acupuncture because it was also an acupuncture school. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to, I, I just knew my brain was so hungry that I wasn't going to be able to just do massage therapy. And I'm a little person like massage is just, it's really, it's really, I did deep tissue and, and women would come, women and men would come to me and be like, Oh no, I asked for deep tissue. And I was like, just give me like 15 minutes. And then there'd be, they would just be my regular clients then. But I, I was really good at it, but I, it was very exhausting and very draining. I, yeah. And then I'm, I, I started getting into the whole world of massage therapy and I was like a spa manager and I was 
training another spa manager, a, a massage therapist who was also an acupuncturist. And he said, go home today, sign up for acupuncture school or else you're never going to do it. And I did. And yeah, and I was great. I was really grateful that I was that I continued with massage therapy school too because it made me a better acupuncturist because I was able. I was already comfortable with touching people, and I I think that there's some acupuncturists that just have been practicing for a while and still aren't like really comfortable, like you know, like getting in there. Yeah. Now, so both would deal with energy and people's energies, and you were just talking about really kind of alluding to people's energies. How do you not take on someone's energies when they come in? And it's really interesting. There's actually formulas in Chinese medicine that help protect you against, and they're the same, like there's an emotional aspect to a Chinese herbal formula and there's like a, a Western aspect. So like something like cinnamon, cinnamon is supposed to, your Wei Qi is your perfect, her, uh, protective defensive chi, and it kind of like protects you from pathogens. So you want to boost your wei chi in the winter time when you know people are getting sick and stuff like that. That's why they always have, they always tell you to wear scarves because pathogens in Chinese medicine come through the back, through the nape of the neck into you. So you keep your scarf or you keep your neck warm always. So this wei chi, so cinnamon really helps protect your wei chi and. Cinnamon also helps you from from anxiety, so it helps protect you from like other people's energy. On top of like the the uh, psychological aspect, so it's really it's that's really interesting the actual herbal aspect. But I learned that from massage therapy. There was like I remember one therapist said he would grab the when he was washing his hands after a patient or a client his massage therapist, he would grab the faucet because he, and he would think about sending the energy down through the pipes and getting rid of it. And, and I think like, I, you know, I would always do this like thing. (laughs) And I remember reading this book by this herbalist who I absolutely adore. It's called fourth uncle in a mountain. And he would say, if there's no herbs available, you would, you just take your, take a cup of water and put your intention in there. And I remember you would, at, I, I worked for Equinox for a very long time and you would give them a glass of water. You give your clients a glass of water at the end of it. And I remember I would always just sit there thinking about uh, Wing Van Wing, the, the herbalist. And I would just put what I felt that person needed. And, and then I would also say a prayer, like give them what they, what they need, not what I think that they need. Oh, that's so great. So does cinnamon sugar, that's why I was raising my hand, wait, does cinnamon sugar count? (laughs) Sugar, sugar, no, sugar in in Chinese medicine is not good. (laughs) Oh, okay. Just thought I'd check. (laughs) You know me. So you you let us know what what led you there. I I love cinnamon, but yeah, I certainly love the cinnamon sugar. So do you have a mentor with what you're doing? Yeah, I work, I work pretty closely with this guy, Dan Wunderlich. He is based in New York City. He like, he works on celebrities. He works on Formula One race car drivers. He works on the Mets and the Yankees. He works on athletes. He's probably the most successful acupuncturist I personally know. And I think a lot of his success is also, he was in, I think he was in the um, financial, he was like a finance guy. And then he like, 
got out before the 2008 and, and wanted a career change. And he really wanted to help people. And what he does is he has this nonprofit that goes down to Guatemala. I mean, pre-pandemic, would go down to Guatemala twice a year, bring about 20 practitioners down, uh, Reiki masters, massage therapist, acupuncturist, and we basically give the indigenous people in rural Guatemala healthcare that is the traditional Chinese medicine, the climate for it is very much like rural Guatemala. So the herbal formulas that we have really help them. The acupuncture treatments really help them. And then we also bring uh, basic medical supplies like reading glasses and uh, vitamins for kids, crutches if somebody needs crutches. It's just such a beautiful thing. And so he, he, he donates, like he might like charge a ton of money and like work on all these famous people, but the stuff that he does in Guatemala is his heart. And I think that's what truly makes somebody successful is like when they give it away. Definitely. Do you also receive acupuncture from anyone? Yes, I do. I have a couple of friends in LA who I adore and who treat me. I haven't had much treatments in the pan during the pandemic. And I've, I've treated myself a couple of times just because I need to I need to personally protect myself as much as possible because I treat people who are vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. Now, what roadblocks have you had and how have you overcome those in your life? Oh boy, I've had so many, Lauren. I've had so much adversity. When I just said that, what were the two that flashed first? Oh, my childhood. (laughs) I think everybody would say that. I hope I know. Kids, it's, you know, we hope I, our kids don't, but like, you I know think it's so interesting. Cause I think so much healing comes when you become a parent yourself. And I, I used to think, I seriously used to think that my, all my problems in my, like from 16, 15, from 12 years on until now 37 36 when i became a mom i thought every problem in my life was because of my parents and when i became a mom i had this little guy who had his own personality and his personality is a lot like mine it's very like like gung-ho ready to go like excited like i want to explore everything but he's also like very like impulse control like he doesn't have impulse control like he would like hit other kids and you know hit me and stuff like that and i'd be like is this like a little demon spawn (laughs) and i'm like did i do something wrong like and in the thing i get i've gained so much compassion for my parents through the parenting through parenting my own son i you know i still don't give them i I give them a lot of credit, but I know, I also know very clearly they could have done more. And I know very clearly they could have reached out for help and they didn't. And I don't know if it was necessarily their fault or if it was just sort of the time. But I think a lot of the grit that I've gotten as an adult and even through my adolescence has come from the neglect and abuse that I had as a child. But also, I think that there's also a there was also just my personality because I see my son, he has a lot of grit. And I think it's more of a, I think older I get, there's a lot of personality there. It was, it was easier for me to like, to push myself than to just say, 
I can't handle this. But I do think that the, the challenges that I have come across in hindsight, every single challenge. And now as, as I get older, when I do go through a challenge, I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for this challenge because I know as uncomfortable and horrible as it is, I know that I'm going to be a better person on the other side of it. And I mean, I've had times, I have had my times where I was like, I'm giving up, I'm done. I'm done, period, dark cloud, done. I was just, I don't know what protects you from not going to the, to the black, black, black but I've had some angels that have protected me during those times. And thank God, because I think of like, if my life would have ended at those moments, like I think about this time where I was very, very at the end of my rope. I was, I think 2004, I was 24. And I was just, I didn't think there was any reason to live. I thought it was going to take so long until I was going to have a life that I could, I could live. And I just really, really, really wanted to be done. I don't know. I don't know what happened as to why I'm still here, but I am so grateful because anything that is worth anything has happened past that point of my life. And I've had a lot of friends. I've had a lot of friends kill themselves. I had a lot of friends have drug overdoses. And the, the one thing that I wish that people knew that a lot of, a lot of people didn't know was that I had been there too. And I had gotten through it and my life was miraculously, miraculously different and better than that point. And it's just such a permanent solution for a temporary problem. And I know that's cliche. And I know that's yeah. not when, when you're in it, it doesn't, it just, when you're in it, it feels like a dark black hole. And it feels like it's forever. And it's and, not. And it's not. And it, and like in the, like, I remember when I was in, in high school and I had this therapist who this counselor at school and he I remember he took a ruler and he put it out and he's like this is your lifespan this is where you are in your lifespan and he's like anything can happen like anything can happen in this time and it just made me like realize like oh yeah I don't know everything because I'm one of those people, oh, I know everything and I'm so unique. And if you had my life, you would feel the way I feel. Oh, yeah. I remember when you were you had cancer, you were told, get a hysterectomy. You're never having kids, blah, 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 blah. You know, and you're like, you were sure you were never having kids. And I was sure I was never having kids sure. like 30 times. Sure. 30 times. I, I was sure I was I, never going to. I was sure I was like done with men, never having kids. Yeah, yeah. My uterus was giving out on me. My body was filled with cancer. It, I mean, so many things. Yeah. Yeah. But here I am. Yeah. A mom naturally. Yeah. <laughs> like I tell people all the time that you told me during those times that you've never seen somebody not be a mom who wanted to be a mom some way, somehow. And now that I treat a lot of fertility patients, I, I tell them that I'm like, 
some way, somehow you will be a mom. If you want to be a mother and not just give birth, <laughs> you will find a way to be a mom. And that's, I mean, that's where I was before I met my partner and got pregnant. I was at the point where I was talking with my therapist about adopting a kid from Guatemala because I love Guatemala so much. And I just wanted to adopt a kid under desirable age. And we started like talking about the finances of it. And what would the finances look for a single person adopting a kid from Guatemala? And how long would it take me to do this process and all this stuff? Cause I was just like, I don't want to deal with the guy part. I don't want to deal with the guy issue anymore. You know, it's just, it's funny how like you make plans and God laughs. And I think when I finally just kind of gave up and was just like, I really just want to be a mom. I don't care how, it doesn't have to be my kid. Doesn't, I, I had a dog that I loved more than anything for 12 years. I loved Geppetto, was the best dog ever. And I loved that thing so much. And he wasn't mine, you know? And, and I knew that I could love something that was never mine. You know, I've watched, I've watched patients you know, just finally make the decision like, okay, I'm going to try a donor egg versus my own eggs. And, you know, I watch them, I watch them go from like gloom and doom and like, it's never going to happen to being like pregnant and like so overjoyed. And every time somebody comes in my office and tells me they're pregnant, I cry. I literally like every single time and I hope that I always do because <laughs> it is just such a miraculous thing for people who really want it. Well, you are a doula also, right? I was, I'm not a, I'm not a certified doula. I, but I, yes, I acted as a birthing partner, uh, assistant for two births. It was so interesting because it was during this phase of my life I was living in New York City and I had I had seen two people die within three months. I think it was like three months of each other. In my apartment building, uh, my next door neighbor fell off our fire escape. He was hosting this birthday party for, he was Israeli and he, he led a birthright group in Israel. And it was one of the girls' birthdays in that group. And he was having a birthday on the top of our, we, we lived in this old warehouse in, in Brooklyn, right off the Bedford L. It was like hip, whatever. I don't even know what that, I'm sure that whole place is different now, but he was having a barbecue on the top and he decided to take the fire escape because it was closest to his apartment. And he was just doing, he had a bunch of stuff in his hand. He was doing like one arm and he fell and he died. And I was there and I was, I was the person who put my hands on him and like felt his pulse and everything. And then a month later, there's this thing called Fresh Direct in New York City. It was before like Instacart. There was this Fresh Direct delivery guy. He had a massive heart attack in our hallway. And I had to sit there and like mop up his vomit. And like, just like I mopped up this guy's blood, the guy that fell off the roof, it put me in a really, really dark place. And I, I think like a year later, my friend asked, my friend and his wife asked me to be their doula for their daughter. And I massaged her all through pregnancy. And then I was there for when her daughter was born. And it was like the most, I mean, 
both births, her their her birth, Ava's birth, and Max's birth, which was like a couple months later, and my son's birth were probably, I mean, the most miraculous moments. They were pretty pretty special. Yeah, I don't. I think that I think that those moments are oh, so sacred. Pretty amazing that you get to get asked to do that. That's. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, like to me at the time, like I wasn't a doula, like I was just a massage therapist in an acupuncture school. Like I didn't, like I read the doula books and stuff like that. And my brother's, my brother's wife's mother is a midwife and like, and my brother's wife was a, I think she was a doula for a while. And, and so like, I kind of was in that world a little bit, but not truly in that world. And I mean, it was, yeah, I think I helped, hopefully. Oh, I'm sure you did. I definitely could tell. Are there any practices or things that you do on a regular basis that help you maintain or keep a positive mindset? I do gratitude lists daily, like pretty much daily. I do a gratitude list. I do three things I'm grateful for, three fears that I have, and one attribute that I have. What do you mean with an attribute? Like I am courageous. I am silly. I am brave. I am, I think my most recent one was, I don't know, growing or, you know, just something like that. Okay. Kind of an affirmation. Yeah. An affirm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. What's the most rewarding part of what you do today? I think the most rewarding part is seeing somebody's life change in some way. I remember when I was in Guatemala once, there was this guy who was shot in the head. There's a lot of, you know, bizarre activity down there. And he was shot in the head, he lived, but he had spastic paralysis of his arm. And my mentor, he he deals with like a lot of, he does this type of acupuncture called neurofunctional acupuncture. And so I, I did that on him and it was like sticking needles into the muscle bellies that deal with the muscles that were spastic and then putting electrodes onto them to cause like a twitch sensation in the muscle belly. I did that to him and it was the first time he was able to relax his arm and he looked at me and started, I mean, this is like an old man and he started crying and he said, Esperanza, Esperanza Doctora, like there's hope or whatever. I forget the word. It's been a while since I've been to Guatemala. So. Yeah. But I like, yeah, when, when you do something, when you help someone in that way and you, or like somebody who walks into my office in pain and I can, I can just do some needles and, you know, get them to a place where they can like make it to surgery or, you know, like relax the uterus in order to make it capable of implanting embryo, like just those, anything that I can do to help somebody's life is, you know. Are you surprised that you ended up here? Oh yeah, by far. Like if, when I was uber super suicidal, like crazy dark time, I wanted to be PhD, MD, like cancer research children, blah, blah, blah. Like I had, I had a whole map of where I wanted to be. I thought that like book was closing in on me. And I never knew that there would be something more perfect. 
for my personality. I'm a creative person. I oil paints. I, you know, I love, I'm very like detail oriented. I loved photography because it was so like, just like being in a lab when I did scientific research, you have to have precision. And I feel like acupuncture, you have to have precision. You're like a micro surgeon. And but there's this artistic, ethereal, esoteric aspect to it that is, I don't like really staying in there too long because I think it separates me from my patients too much. When I get into the whole Eastern medicine theory of it, I try to stay more on a Western medical. But when I get there and I like start thinking about some of the beautiful aspects of it, I'm like, yeah, this stuff works on like a soul level. And there's a spiritual aspect to it, which I think is, you know, the creative being in a, a lab, being like when I was working with the mRNA and DNA and cancer research and learning things that nobody else in the world knew, except for me at that moment, even before I told my principal investigator, like I knew that information. It was so amazing. And there's something so artistic and creative about it. Just like photography, just like acupuncture, I'm sure just like surgery. And I'm grateful that I stayed the course, had the grit, had the perseverance to continue on to find what was truly mine. Definitely suits you. What would you tell somebody having a hard time getting up in the morning? What kind of tools would you suggest for them? I don't mean clinical depression. I just mean, you know, the general kind of malaise, the come on, get up. I would say anything can, any moment your life can change. Your life can change in a second towards the better, towards the worse. Everything always changes. That's the one constant thing. And I think if you look at flow or that creativity that we all kind of, we all like kind of crave, I think that flow, like when you're really like, when you're in something and you're just like, you're feeling it, like running, for instance, you'll get into that flow. There's been so many studies on it and we don't need much in life to have that flow. And I think the majority of that flow and that happiness and that I'm trying to think of the word, uh, what's that word? Equanimity. I think the, the majority of equanimity that you find in life, there's not a price tag on it. There's like, it's from being grateful for the things that you do have. And if you look at people who've been through like horrible accidents, you know, have had horrible things happen to them and who somehow find that spark of light. Like it's just all you need is a spark to let in the light. Like you just need like teeny, teeny, teeny hole. And you, yeah. And if you can just stay in that light, that's, I think, and I think gratitude is the place to be. Like, I think, you know, I, I look at my son and when we give him gifts, we just had a thing with Legos. I ordered a bunch of Legos and he, he saw that I ordered him some Legos from lego.com. And he got one of the Lego sets and was like, I want the other one. And it was like, 
it's like a hung in in Buddhism they call it the hungry ghost. It's like the hole that you can never fill, and it's like, and I'm trying to teach it. He's three years old. Okay, he's three years old. I'm trying to teach him to be grateful for what he has because there's some people who don't have any Lego sets, and that's not what makes you happy in life. Lego set, a watch, a ring, like a car, a bag, none of that stuff makes you happy. And and you know, Lauren, from when I get back from Guatemala, I'm just like, I'm so like against materialism. When I get back, I'm like, none of this matters. That purse could have paid for this kid's medical care for his whole entire life. And he has zero medical care. The fact that we were born in America the fact that we don't have to see the adversity. Yeah. Yeah, your, your, re, your re-entry is not pretty for the rest of it's us. It's not pretty for everybody now. <laughs> but it does make me grateful and it does deprogram me from the billion dollar ad campaigns that tell us that we are not enough, that we need more, that we need to be prettier, be more successful. And I am I am one of those people who I achieve. I've ran how many marathons, I've done how many things. And I'm always like, see me, dad, see me, mom, look at me, I'm achieving. They never praise me. They don't praise They never praise me. They never give me the praise that I want. And I, I've learned that nothing I could do, I could get a Nobel Peace Prize and I still wouldn't get like the praise that I'm wanting from my my little girl wants from her parents and the thing is is that like sometimes like I feel like at the end of all of this like in my final analysis my final days I'm gonna be there going like god I wish I would have just smelt the flowers like I would have just I wish I would have just like got down on the rug or the carpet and like played with my son a little bit more and like, I've really had those moments in the past year where I have been able to do that, where I have been able to see like, this this is what's all that matters. Like when I close my eyes and I think, I used to, I used to keep this list in my phone, in my notes, in my iPhone of all the magical moments of my life. And I went like, literally, like it was everything, like from like being drunk with my friend in the snow and like, listening to Belle and Sebastian with like huge snowflakes coming down and my dog jumping in the snow because it's his first time like in the snow and like us just dancing around like literally like these moments of my life and I think what they all had is nothing that like I think that I need like a job a house like a better job a better house a better partner more kids like you know it's never it's never that stuff it's just moments it's always moments it's always moments and it's connection with somebody else yeah it's having that those times where you just laugh and it's like that laughter that's from like oh i remember going i was on this my first rock climbing outdoor adventure and we were all at this we were rock climbing all day long and then we went to this it was in tahoe we were in Truckee, and we went to this diner and we were laughing so hard. We were, it was just, all of us were friends. A lot of us just met each other that day and we were just all laughing so hard. And I remember just sitting back and like, we were just had these like, you know, those smiles where you're like, it hurts your cheeks. And we we're just like, kept on saying all this like funny stuff. And I remember just sitting back and just being like, this is one of those times. This is one of those times that I'm going to remember forever. 
because it's just like and it's like you almost like see it like it's like slow motion like it's just good fun like there's not and I like there's times with like my son where like me and Kevin are on the floor playing with him and he's giggling those full belly giggles where it's just like ah that's like that's what the that's what life's about but we get stuck in this like I need that lamp I need those those plants I need that scarf I need the hair color I need the this I need the that and it's like do we do you have any message of hope that you want to give a message of hope oh boy I think look I haven't lived long and but I have been through some gnarly stuff I'm I'm 40 years old so I kind of have lived long <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway there but I th- I think that in my life, I've been through some very gnarly times. And I think just stay, just stay here, find, find sparks of joy, find a funny movie, find something to be grateful for, find the right help. Don't self-diagnose yourself. Don't self-medicate yourself. Find help. There's so much help out there. There's so many like professionals out there waiting for you. And I think that that's like, I don't know. I think that's, I wish I would have, I I think of, I did this, I did this postpartum doula course after I had my son and I had no idea what a postpartum doula was. And I remember my doula while I, my birth doula said, I think you might need a postpartum doula. And all I thought in my head was, it's going to be so expensive. No, I don't need one. And then I found out how much they are and I'm like, I could have, I needed somebody. I needed somebody during that time. And like a couple hundred dollars, it it would have been fine. Kevin would have gladly paid for it. And it would have helped me immensely get through those like first couple of months. But I, I just think, and I think of that, like it took me so long to find a financial coach. And once I found a financial coach, it was like, oh, I wish I would have found you in my 20s. <laughs> Are like, you know, I think, I think that there, I think that there's professionals for a reason. And I think that there's always some way. And I think that there's ways that you can find, it doesn't have to be expensive. It's not expensive. It doesn't have to be like, I don't know. It, it's not about money. Like, I think there's a ton of free resources too, but I think anything anybody is facing, there's support groups now, there's professionals. And I think just having the humility to ask for help and to receive it, to really be able to receive it is. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Thank you, Lauren, for having me. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Teresa's messages of caring, hang in there because this too shall pass, and to breathe in the moment. Such fabulous reminders for our week. Be sure to tune in next week when the progressive pastor Rod Eccles joins us. Pastor Rod's an advocate of being true to your inner calling and believes in following all of the visions, being of service to our communities and being open to everyone and doing the footwork is the way to connect more profoundly to ourselves and to each other. He has this way about him that's just fabulous. He's from the deep south, but he also has an Ivy League education and now lives in Laguna and is a pastor down in Laguna Beach. He definitely knows how to talk.
Talk. Tune in next week for a really enjoyable episode. If you're on Clubhouse, be sure to go to a room. I have a room on Tuesdays. Come say hi. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and please give me any feedback on our website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. 